power, Lord God, that works through us, Jesus, to change lives and transform people. Lord, you're so wonderful, dear God, and you're so worthy of praise. And I ask today that you would help us, Lord, that as we challenge people according to your word, members and friends of Life Church, as we challenge them to take up the call of following Jesus Christ, that you would help us, Lord Jesus, to do it in a way that is in sync with your spirit, Lord God, that I would speak, Lord, what you would speak if you would stand before this congregation today, that I would essentially become an instrument or a mouthpiece through which you can speak. I'm asking you for this today, Jesus, and I need your help, Lord God. We need your help, Lord Jesus. Uh, we don't want to just do our own thing and go our own direction, but God, we need to get our marching orders directly from heaven, and I thank you for that, Lord God, as I believe you're going to do it. Uh, hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. The universal sign of surrender is to lift up your hands. I want you to lift up your hands in a sign of surrender to the Lord right now. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus, we surrender ourselves to you, Lord God. I surrender my life to you, Lord God. I surrender my destiny and my future, Lord Jesus. I surrender everything to you, Lord God, because everything came from you. Lord Jesus, hallelujah. My life is yours, Lord God. Everything I have, everything I am is yours, Lord Jesus. You gave it to me. I'm a steward, Lord God, of what you've given to me. And I surrender myself to your cause, to your calling, and to your purpose today, Lord. We surrender our church, Lord Jesus. We surrender our finances, our talent. Uh, everything we have, we give it to you, Lord God. Help us to impact our world in the way that you've called us to. In the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that, just tell them with your own words right now. Jesus, I give it to you. I surrender it to you. I'm giving my life to you again. Lord, I want you to know that. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God bless you and you may be seated. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has called us to a life of selfless service to his kingdom. He has called us out of this world, but he left us in the world. So that we would be in the world, but we would not be of the world. He has called us out of this present darkness that is prevailing and uh, societal urges. He has called us out of that and called us to fulfill his purpose and to see his kingdom established. The problem is in using human beings, not that Jesus Christ didn't recognize this and understand that this would be a challenge, but the problem is, is that human beings are by nature somewhat selfish we tend to look out for ourselves. And uh, if you don't believe that, just watch how selfishness begins to reveal itself in our children. And they say, mine. I want it. She's not sharing, Daddy, because they're concerned about themselves. Who taught them that? Who taught them how to be self-centered? Nobody taught them that. It's a part of, intrinsic part of, human nature it's part of our flesh this self-centeredness this meism if you would or concerned about what happens to me and what i get and where i end up now the problem is our society also promotes self-centeredness in the united states of america we are the world's worst example of a consumer society everybody say consumer Consumer, that means to eat it up. 
to use, to take advantage of everything that we have available to our pleasure. I'm not saying that this is sinful and this is wrong, but when our society is promoting self-centeredness and our belief system is promoting sacrifice, we've got a little problem here. Amen? What is the problem? The problem is that selfishness and sacrifice are diametrically opposed to one another. Selflessness and selfishness are opposites. And so sacrifice and commitment and giving up and surrendering to God goes against the grain of our American consumer society and consumer culture. As Americans, because we have grown up in this culture, we, are, we have grown accustomed to being catered to and beckoned by advertisers who try to attract us to the allure of their product, you see. Their product is going to make life better for you. Their product is going to make life easier for you. Their product is going to make life safer and more comfortable for you. Their product is going to make life more enjoyable to you. So say the advertisers, all we need is a little bit of your money and we can take care of you. We can cater to you. We can make your life better. And these advertisers in a prosperous society, a society with disposable income creates a society full of consumers. And we are a nation of consumers used to being catered to. It's so stark when you have an opportunity, if you ever have, to visit a third world country where people are not blessed as we are in America, to notice immediately the variation or the difference between what we expect uh, and what they expect. Uh, I was in uh, the former Soviet Union not long after um, communism fell to a certain extent there. And uh, while I was there, there was uh, a young lady that was the uh, translator for my friend and I as we traveled about. She was our age and she was, uh, uh, we at that point I was about 19 or 20 and she was around the same age. And uh, my friend and I were struck after being around her for three weeks that we noticed she only had two outfits of clothing. Only two outfits of clothing. That's all that she had. And she didn't gripe or complain about it, but that's the way life was. That was their expectation. There are people who only have enough food barely to survive, but that's their expectation. And in America, we are prosperous we are blessed. Uh, and uh, in this society, we have become consumers and used to taking care and catering to and, and uh, uh, blessing and helping and ministering to ourselves. And, and the reason I bring all this up uh, is that this has fundamentally affected Christianity in America today. The fact that we are a consumer society and the fact that we're used to taking care of ourselves and if it feels good, do it. You deserve a break today. All of us uh, have been affected by this shift in Christianity in America today. See, what has happened is advertisers who market their products uh, have begun to influence the way that we market the Messiah and the way that we present Christianity and church leaders throughout America. And none of us are exempt, uh, but all of us uh, have to one degree or another adopted this consumer mentality to market Jesus Christ to our society. So what do we do? 
all of us who have been affected, we begin to market and advertise Jesus Christ and Christianity as something that will, hey, it's going to make your life better, easier, more enjoyable, more comfortable. And we've created a Christianity that is convenient, nicely packaged, and so tidy as a benefit to people as they live in this present world. And now human beings are told they can put their faith in Jesus Christ. They can be called a Christian. They can attend church. This is the Christianity that's been produced in our consumer society. It's soft. It's powerless. It's a watered-down form of the church with dumbed-down levels of commitment, dumbed-down expectancy of people. And rather than people becoming a part of the kingdom of God to help move it forward, they become a part of a church for the benefits that can come to them. Now there are churches throughout our country that have big attendances and little commitment, that have great big crowds, but they have very little focus toward what Jesus Christ has called us as individual members of the church to do, and all of us have been affected. You say, what happened? What happened is, in our effort to pursue numbers, we want a lot of people to accept Jesus. We want a lot of people to join our church. We want a lot of people to call themselves Christians. In the effort to pursue numbers, sometimes even, let me go ahead and say it, for financial purposes, we have inadvertently created a consumer Christianity. A consumer Christianity. Get as many people as you can to come to your church. Get as many people as you can to accept Jesus. By the way, that's not a scriptural concept, accepting Jesus. Accepting Jesus is not what we do. Amen? We don't accept Jesus as our personal Savior. We respond to the call on his li- of Him on our life to take up His cross and to follow after Him. Jesus never one time told us or His disciples to go out and build congregation. He never told anybody to lead someone through a sinner's prayer. But He did tell us to go and make disciples. Life Church, we have been commissioned to do something. And as a church leader, I have been commissioned not to build a congregation, not to have a lot of people that come through the doors of this church and hear us sing and hear me preach. But God has called us to form disciples and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you can come and see if you want to. You can come observe if you want to. But if you're going to come after me, there has to be something that gets a hold of you a passion that causes you to reach the point where all the other things that were important to you before become uh, insignificant and unimportant amen and whosoever will not bear his cross and come after me you can't be my disciples see Jesus allowed and encouraged people to come and see come on your own terms come observe I want to tell you about the kingdom I want to share with you what God is doing in the world today. The loaves and fishes crowd, if you would, those that came for the blessings and the benefits, those that came because of the intrigue and the fascination, 
But ultimately, when the crowd was gathered around, the point would come when Jesus would turn to them and say, I've got a crowd together now. Now I need to find out who's going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who's going to follow after me? Ultimately, the Lord Jesus would level with them. And that's the problem. The church today is not leveling with people. And so people are having trouble living for God and they're struggling and they wonder why life hasn't changed for them and they wonder why they're unfulfilled and they wonder why there's no purpose in their life. It's because nobody's leveled with them. And I want you to leave here today with someone having leveled with you because Jesus said following me is not about making your life better. It's about joining a revolution. It's about joining something that's going to change the world. Following after me is not about better, a, a, a more pleasurable life, but it's about a radical change of your focus, a change of your passions, a change of how you lay out your time, your talent, and your treasure. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. What should a man do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, are you obeying the commandments? He said, I've been doing it since I was a child. The Lord said, good, I love you. He said, one more thing you're lacking. Go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come take up your cross and follow after me. And the rich young ruler was sad at his saying. The point was not the fact that he had money, but the point was that he had been introduced to Jesus and there was still something that was more important to Jesus than Jesus to him. That's the problem with consumer Christianity. We allow people to accept Jesus on their own terms. We allow people to accept Jesus, but to allow other things to be the priority in their life. We're only fooling ourselves, and we're only fooling one another if we tell them that they can follow Jesus Christ while at the same time having these passions that take their priority and their attention away from Him. Brothers and sisters, it won't work. It doesn't work. And over the passage of time, you will not be following Jesus Christ but somewhere along the way if you want to be a disciple of Jesus something gets a hold of you and you say whatever it takes Lord God I found what I've been looking for I found the pearl of great price I found the altogether lovely and I'm following you with reckless abandon and complete and total pursuit that's unreasonable no it's not unreasonable that's a gamble. Yeah, it's a gamble from the perspective of the world. Huh. But when you look at it through the reality of the Word of God, you realize Jesus says, if you'll gamble, obviously I'm not talking about gambling. He said, if you'll lose your life for my sake. Everybody says, hold on to it, man. Hold on to your destiny. Hold on to your purpose. Hold on to your future. Hold on to your time, your talent, and your treasure. Use it for your call. Use it for your purpose. Jesus says if you hold on to it, you'll lose it. But if you learn how to gamble in the kingdom, amen, if you learn how to put everything on the line and say, you know what, I may walk out of here with nothing, but I'm putting it all on the line because Jesus said if you lose your life, for my sake you'll gain the whole world. And I happen to believe that. I happen to believe that if a person will say, I'm not just accepting Jesus, but I'm giving him my life my heart, my soul, my everything then God can take your life and turn it into something beautiful I'm going to tell you right now if you're not willing to have that kind of commitment it'd be better for you to walk away right now because you're going to live a life of frustration and unfulfilled uh, feelings but if somebody, a young person says Jesus, I surrender all I give it all to you I want you to take my life and do something with it uh, then you can follow after him
and he can use your life. Sad reality is that some people get it. Some people never get it. Some people miss the whole point. They're enamored, fascinated, intrigued by Christianity. They like what they feel. They like what they hear. They like what they sense. But maybe it's never been asked of them. Maybe they didn't know that this is what Jesus was requiring. That they would give it all up to follow and to pursue after him. And there are many people sitting in churches today, even on Rosemead Boulevard, even at 380, who have the wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian, the wrong idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not that you're a bad person, not that they are bad people. They're a product of the society in which they live, and they're a product of the marketing of the Messiah by those who have done their best to increase the numbers of quote-unquote Christ followers. And when we have the wrong idea of what it means to be a Christian, we begin to gripe about the requirement of attending church or go beyond griping and just begin to come sporadically, if at all. We skirt chances and opportunities to serve the kingdom of God because our time is so precious and we have so many things that we need to do and no doubt somebody else will do it. And then before long, they're missing church and their excuses are always good. They're totally uninvolved in ministry, unmotivated, unconcerned, detached, and they think that they're a Christian and they think that they're all right with God. See, we've got a lot of people that attend church, but we don't have that many disciples. And what God has called me to do, what God has called us to do at Life Church is to make disciples, uh, is to find people who are willing to lay their life on the altar and say, Jesus, take it and consume it. Use it in whatever way that you see fit. I have heard your call. I have heard the beckoning. I have felt the tug of your spirit. And Jesus, uh, I want to follow you with everything that I have, with reckless abandon with passion with intensity will i chase and pursue after your purpose uh, and your calling and your anointing in my life uh, what have we done have we in our effort to make more christians instead created a christianity that's not really christianity it's just people who claim to be followers of jesus christ i look at my attitude and our attitude and approach to our faith and and calling and sometimes i like to just compare that a little bit to the church that we read about in the book of acts how do we measure up how do we compare the bible and historical documents let us know that the church that was established in jerusalem and then went throughout the world in the book of acts was a church that was made up of people who were selfless and generous in fact, the Bible just straight up says that those that were Christians who had given their life to Jesus, who had abandoned the typical secular Judaism and began to follow and pursue after Jesus Christ, they sold their possessions. They sold everything that they had and they had all things in common. That's what the Bible says. Nowhere does it ever say that we are supposed to do that. Nowhere are we instructed to do so, and I'm not even presenting that as an option. The point that I'm trying to make is look at their attitude. Look at their spirit. Look at their sold-out 
commitment to the kingdom of God. See, they weren't a consumer society. They were living in a place in a time when they decided that it would be worth their while to give everything that they had to the kingdom of God. They were impassioned about getting the message out. They were persecuted. Many of them lost their jobs. Many of them couldn't get any better jobs than just the menial, lowest paying jobs because they were ridiculed because they were Christians. Many of them were beaten. Some of them we read about were imprisoned. And yes, there were those who were martyred or killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I bring that and I juxtapose that uh, against our attitude sometimes when we gripe because of God's expectations and God's standard for our appearance uh, that makes us stand out in a crowd and we're ashamed. In the meantime, the early church was turning the world upside down. They were getting the message throughout the whole world. See, I don't know if you've heard the stories before of the Colosseums where they would bring the Christians and they would put them back in holding areas. On the other side of the Colosseum was another holding area, but it was not for another class of gladiators. It was for saber-toothed animals, lions and tigers and beasts that would literally rip these people limb from limb. They'd been starved so that they would be hungry and they would be released into the midst of this Colosseum while thousands of people sat around and observed for sport as these despised looked down upon persecuted subhuman Christians were released from their cages and went out to face the mouth of the lion and so forth and we wonder why and how could something like this happen there was something inside of them they refused to renounce their faith and their confidence in Jesus they would come before them and say just deny the fact that Jesus rose from the grave and we'll let you out of here and they would say something like no I'm not going to deny it uh, I know that he rose from the dead uh, I saw him or somebody would say I knew somebody that saw him or my father saw Jesus alive after his resurrection and I will not renounce uh, I will not blend in with society I will not uh, 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 surrender myself to your expectations for my life uh, and they let their life uh, be lived uh, until it was snuffed out as a testimony to their complete surrender and commitment to the kingdom of God. And in the meantime, none of us have ever had to face that. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Thank the Lord we live in a country that is amenable to our belief system. All society, no doubt, makes fun of our convictions and our decision not to follow this world and its dictates. It is a society governmentally that at this point is friendly to people who are radically pursuing Jesus Christ. And we haven't been expected or requested or asked to make those kind of commitments, to make those kinds of sacrifices in dedication. In the meantime, God's put us here in the church to impact our world, just like the early church impacted their world. But sometimes we can't get people to come to church, can't get people to be willing to teach a Bible study, can't even get someone to befriend a new believer. Well, I don't know them very well. Well, guess what? Nobody knows them well. They're new. Go talk to them. Go be a friend to them. To serve. To join a ministry team. Because we've got our own lives. We've got our own pursuits. We've got our own interests. 
We've got our own distractions. And sometimes if we're not careful, because it's been made so easy for us, and we've been introduced to a consumer Christianity, it's not very long until we begin to look at our Christianity or our church or our God as a burden to us. And the less that is required of us, rather than us being grateful that less is required and less is asked. See, I remember in the old days when revival was every night of the week. Anybody remember those days? You had revival, it was every night of the week. You know, we're more conscious of people's schedules and their obligations and their requirements. So let's have revival. Let's just have it regular service nights. And guess what? People still don't come. People still don't come. Amen. You know why? It's because there's a consumer mentality that's gotten a hold of this world and found its way into the church. And sometimes I wonder as a pastor, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And let, let me, I, I'm not just Henny Penny here saying the sky is falling in. God has given us people in life church that are disciples of the Lord, that are pursuing after his purpose for their life. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm wondering, how do we make more disciples? Uh, how do we make more disciples? Do I have to become a curmudgeon? Do I have to become so harsh and mean that I, that I demand things of people and, and pressure them and put uh, uh, intense expectations and call and hound people about serving God? And I, I think about that. Number one, that's not my personality. Number two, that's not the right kind of motivation because that's just doing something because you're obligated to or you're submitting to a man. But somewhere in the heart of this church and the heart of every member that's under the sound of my voice, I'm wondering if there's something that could get a hold of you in the Word of God today that says, Lord Jesus, you gave everything on a cross for me. And I understand that my life is worth nothing until I abandon everything to pursue after you with everything inside of me see I think we're great people some of the most wonderful people in the world are these consumer Christians they're nice folks the problem is they've lost their perspective they've lost the context of why we serve God they've gotten busy they've gotten consumed they've gotten distracted and as a pastor as a leader, as someone who is calling you to rise up and be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I think you deserve some context or perspective as to what this demand, why this demand is being levied. I can't request sacrifice of you without providing context for your commitment. You mean, what do you mean context? Context means the circumstances that are relevant to a fact or the words before and after a passage that contribute to its meaning. What is the meaning of this call for us to follow after Jesus? What are the circumstances that make this call to pursue after Jesus in 2008 relevant to us? See, let me just understand what I'm, what I'm saying when I say perspective. Perspective means a glass through which objects are viewed or the effect of distance upon the appearance of objects. Let me just explain here what I mean by perspective and context. There were folks who have spent the last two or three years working long hours in the hot sun to repair and fortify the levees in New Orleans. The levees that were destroyed by the gale force winds and the storm surge of Katrina. I imagine during that time there were workers, supervisors, even city officials that lost context and perspective for a few moments and would wonder why in the world are we doing this? Why are we investing so much of the city's money 
and federal money and our time and energy. Why couldn't we invest it into, we got all this money, why couldn't we build bigger arenas? And couldn't we, uh, why couldn't we build a stadium? Why don't we create new housing developments? Or let's do something to be proud of. And in, in, in the meantime, here we are investing our time and energy and pouring our life into reestablishing these levies. See what context is. Context to sacrifice is as they're working on as they're investing in it, as they're earmarking city funds or federal funds and putting it in this project, uh, the only way it makes sense uh, is if they can remember the events that surround the building of this wall. If they can put it in context and remember the images of families being removed from their home in post-Katrina New Orleans, of people being stranded on the roadside, uh, of people being displaced, uh, and, and literally... Millions and billions of dollars of damage because the storm wall was breached and the water poured in. See, on Monday, I imagine those workers' perspective was renewed. Anybody see the pictures, the video images online of waters lapping over those walls? But the walls held because they were willing to sacrifice and make a commitment even when at times they lost context. See, sometimes we're serving God and we've lost context for it. That's why we get... That's why we get discouraged. That's why we feel like quitting. That's why we begin to gripe about this and about that. That's why we wonder how we can get out of doing more rather than find a way to better serve the kingdom of God. It's not because we're bad people. It's not because we don't love Jesus. But somewhere along the way, because of distractions, because of pursuits, because of materialism, because of this and that and whatever, it has caused us to lose the context to why it is that we would abandon and everything and to begin to pursue after Jesus Christ calling and purpose and destiny for our lives whenever there is war there is sacrifice I remember stories of the second world war where people were put on food rations that means you not buy over a certain amount of groceries, no matter how much money you have, because those rations were based on the needs of the war. And uh, no doubt people begin to complain and gripe because they lost context for the sacrifice. They didn't understand that our little sacrifice here is so small compared to the sacrifice of those men across the ocean who are committing and giving their life to the cause of preserving freedom for our nation. Now, there's a song, and uh, uh, it was written by a country singer concerning uh, the 9-11 event and how that sometimes we forget. This is the week that we commemorate the anniversary of the towers falling, 9-11. Sometimes the sacrifice of war gets a little bit painful, gets a little uncomfortable, and people forget why it is. They forget the images of those buildings collapsing. They forget the images of people coming down, looking at the wall to see if their loved one was named among the deceased. The song says, have you forgotten how it felt that day to see your homeland under fire and her people blown away? Have you forgotten when those towers fell? We had neighbors still inside going through a living hell. And you say we shouldn't worry about bin Laden. Have you forgotten? It says, I've been there with soldiers who've gone away to war. 
And you can bet they remember just what they're fighting for. Have you forgotten all the people killed? Some went down like heroes in that Pennsylvania field. Have you forgotten about our Pentagon, all the loved ones that we lost and those left to carry on? Don't tell me not to worry about bin Laden. Have you forgotten? And have we forgotten? Sometimes is the question. We lose the context. We lose the context. And we're here griping about gas prices when mothers are kissing their boys goodbye and sending them off to war. Context. Context for Christianity. Why is it that we come to church? Why is it that we have outreach on a weekly basis? Why is it that we're sacrificing so much to build a new building? Why do we work so hard on our worship services? Why do we ask people to serve as ushers, greeters, nursery workers? Why do we work so hard during the week? Praise singers and musicians to do their very best to be prayerful and anointed and skilled to promote a move of God. Anybody ready for the praise team to come back? See, when they get up here, this just doesn't happen. They don't just walk in on Sunday morning and grab a mic. There are people that give, a, give every, every week a night of their week up to come and commit themselves to seeing that the kingdom of God moves forward through leading in worship. I shut it down some time ago. I recognized that they were fatigued. They were weary. They were pulling so much. There was no backup. There was no one there to spell them. And I realized across the board that we have a few people in Life Church that get it, that are going after it. But the load becomes so heavy on them that they become fatigued. And I'm calling to this church. I'm calling to you. Amen. I'm calling out to a group of people that have been introduced to Jesus. You've been compelled by his message and by what you feel. But the Lord Jesus has turned to you right now and he said, if any of you would come after, I'm asking, is there anybody in the midst that would say, I have found what I'm looking for. I have found what's going to give meaning and purpose and destiny to my life. I have found what it's what, what is worth the sacrifice of my time, my talent, and my treasure. No, it's not some uh, uh, charitable organization. No, it's not some cause uh, that's going to help a few people, but it is the cause of Jesus Christ, uh, an eternal cause that will transform the world. What is the context to our call for service? Next week we'll have the praise team back. They'll be back in full force. We'll worship the Lord together and have a fantastic time. But what is the call for the context for this call to service to the kingdom of God, to this call of sacrifice? Let me remind you since we haven't heard it very much lately, that there is a place the Bible talks about uh, since we believe that the Bible is true and the inspired word of God. Every word is true. The Bible says that a human is eternal, that you will spend eternity somewhere forever. That means not just Christians, but that means everybody will spend eternity somewhere forever. So there is a place called heaven that is an eternal paradise uh, that is full of bliss and blessing. There is a place 
place called heaven. Amen. And the Bible lets us know that there is a lake of fire, a place of eternal damnation, where those who have not embraced the Lord Jesus Christ and been born of the water and of the spirit shall forever have their place in the lake of fire, where there shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. See, you used to hear preaching like this, but you don't hear preaching like this in a consumer Christian society. You don't hear preaching about a place called heaven that those who embrace Jesus Christ and pursue after him and are blessed with his spirit will eternally receive. And you don't hear much preaching about a place called hell that is uh, reserved for hell and his demons, Satan and his demons, and for all of those who do not accept uh, and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ and pursue after him. Let me tell you a message that is jarring. Let me give you a message that is jolting. Let me give you a message that will wake you up. We are called to do God's purpose, not so we can have a nice little church on the corner. We are called to do God's purpose because there are people that hell and Satan is ravaging this day that we live in. There are alcoholics that are beating on their spouse and estranging their children. There are drug addicts that are destroying their destiny and their future. There are people that are pursuing after wealth only to find out that it's empty. And the end result is after all of their pursuing, after all of their enjoyment of the pleasures of this world, they have nothing to look forward to but forever and ever and ever in eternal torture and damnation. And the only hope for this world is the message of Jesus Christ. We're here today because God has uniquely positioned and empowered us to share the truth with the world. Come on, will you clap your hands and praise the Lord with me right now? Nicodemus asked Jesus, came to Jesus, I know you're from God. Jesus said, boom. Okay, you want the real deal? Nicodemus comes to talk about miracle. I know you're from God because if you weren't from God, you couldn't do these great miracles. That's what John chapter 3 said. Jesus says, okay, you're interested? Guess what? Except a man be born again. He can't be a part of this kingdom, kingdom of God. Nicodemus is like, what do you mean? I can't be born again. I'm too big. I'm bigger than my mother now at this point by now. I can't be born again. Go into my mother's womb, be born again. Jesus said, Nicodemus, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. How sayest thou, I must be born again? The wind bloweth where it listeth. You hear the sound thereof, canst not tell. Whence it cometh, whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. There is a sound, a distinctive sound that is an indication that the wind is blowing into their life and they are born of the spirit. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot be a part of God's kingdom and escape the judgment Every person deserves because all are sinners. Your only hope of escape, Nicodemus, is you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Born of the water and of the Spirit. See, the problem is there are many churches 
that will tell you that if you will accept Jesus as your personal Savior and repeat after the preacher as he says a prayer, he says, now guess what? You're saved. Let's give each other a big hand. This is why I'm so passionate about what we're doing at Life Church. This is why God has called me here to this city at this time because there is a message of truth that the church preached in the book of Acts and this message was you must repent of your sins. You must be born of water by being baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins and you've got to be born of the Spirit to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and when that Holy Spirit comes there will be a sound. Hallelujah. And that sound is in the book of Acts that when they receive the Holy Ghost they begin to speak in a language that they never learned as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. And what there is a church on the corner of Rosemead Boulevard and Oakdale where the message of truth is declared that says you don't come in here and accept Jesus as your personal Savior. You come in here and lay your face down on an altar and say, God, I give my life to you. Forgive me, Lord God, for being a sinner. Let me be filled with your glorious Spirit. Wash my sins away in the waters of baptism. There is a message of truth that the world needs to hear. There is a message of truth that your unsaved loved ones need to hear. There is a message of truth that your co-workers need to hear. That's why, that's why I'm saying, oh, that the church would arise. Oh, that we would rise up and do what God has called us to do. Come on, clap your hands and praise the Lord with me right now. Hallelujah. Come on, praise the Lord with me right now. Come on, praise the Lord with me right now. This is a place where disciples are made. And I'm thankful that disciples are being made at Life Church. Not all is lost. Amen. Not everybody's a product of consumer Christianity. Amen. Hallelujah. There are disciples of Jesus Christ that get it. Some of us haven't gotten it yet, but we're going to get it. Hallelujah. 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 That my pursuit of Jesus is not based on what's convenient. My pursuit of Jesus is not based on what's easy for my life. My pursuit of Jesus is not based on how I feel when I wake up in the morning. But my pursuit of Jesus is an all-encompassing thing. See, what happened with consumer Christianity is people give a little section, a little piece of their life. I'm going to serve God here on Sunday from... From 10 to, to 12. And guess what? My, my Lord, I've done my part. And then they walk out of the church and they go back into whatever it is that they're pursuing. And they think that this is all right with God. See, I, that's what concerns me. That's why I speak with such conviction today. I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be right with God. Somewhere along the way, it's got to get a hold of you and it's got to affect your entire life. It's got to affect every part of who you are and what you do. Amen. But there are disciples, hallelujah, that are serving God and are committed. Francisco and Iris, thank you for being here today. This is the disciples of Jesus Christ.
See, uh, they don't live around the corner from the church. They live a good 45 minutes, 45 minutes away from the church. Long way away. When they were married, they said, we want to work for God. They live a long way, but you know what? They never miss a service. Midweek service, weekend service. Every single week they come on a Saturday. Every single week to reach out to people that are in need. See, they're still disciples. How many times could they have come up with an excuse when you live 45 minutes away to an hour away and gas is up over $4 a gallon? But you know what? That wasn't even an option because somewhere along the way they sold out. Somewhere along the way they said, this is what it's all about. And, and I've, I've, made my, I've made my commitment. And, and most of you don't know this, but they, they were blessed. They were able to take a, a, a vacation last week. And we're so thrilled that they were able to take a trip and celebrate their anniversary and have a good time. But uh, my wife was telling me as we drove home and she wiped a tear away from her eyes. She told me, she said, they scheduled their vacation so they would not miss a single weekend. They left out on their cruise Sunday night. They came back Sunday morning. Because guess what? The things of God, the kingdom of God, is the most important thing in their life. See, sometimes we're so quick to miss church. Now, understand. Understand, I'm not indicating it's wrong to miss a weekend to go on vacation. That's acceptable. And I'm not saying that's what we're requiring or expecting. But there's something in their heart. That's the point I'm trying to make. Something inside of them, they put the kingdom of God first. It's come to the forefront. It's come to the top of the stack. And there are disciples. Hallelujah. This is what I'm talking about. People where it gets a hold of them. And they're like, I know, I know this doesn't make sense to the world. I know that this is really crazy, amen, that this doesn't make sense. But, but this is what is important to me. This is what I've come to pursue after. This is my life, by the way. Hallelujah. This is my life, and this is my calling. This is what God has called us to do. So thankful Brother and Sister Steele serve as a, a youth minister for Life Church now for four over four years, almost five years now. They've served in that position. And uh, not a paid position, the volunteer position. A lot of hours, a lot of commitment. And uh, some of you know that Brother Steele a couple of years ago launched out in a new career in real estate. And uh, he made that step of faith after much prayer and consideration and just so happened to be the worst possible time for real estate as far as the market just coming to a stop. God's been merciful to them, blessed them and met their needs. But it hasn't been without some tough time. Hasn't been without some difficulty. In fact, uh, you know, I, I find out, he never tells me, but I find out uh, um, their car broke down and they didn't buy another one. Instead, they did all the maneuvering they could so that two of them could use the one car. And then, because the market's tight right now, hadn't made as many sales as he could have, and they moved out of their home and leased it out and moved into a one-bedroom place to make ends meet. I'm not giving you a sob story because they would be embarrassed by a sob story. 
but, but the point of the matter is, is through all of this, through all of this, every time there's any amount of income that comes in, there's a tithe check immediately. And uh, this would be so embarrassing to them, and they, they don't want this told, but I'm going to tell it anyway. In the midst of this, Brother and Sister Steele have given $20,000 personal cash to the building program, the largest contributors in the midst of... See, what I'm telling you is they're still disciples in the world today, people that have made a commitment, a decision. Nobody would ever ask that of them. That's not the point. The point is there's something in their heart that the kingdom of God is first. And there are other members of Life Church that we can tell stories about about stories of commitment and consecration and sacrifice and focus toward the kingdom of God because there's context and this is everything in their life. That's why Jesus turned and said, if you're going to follow after me, if you're going to follow after me, it's not about the peaches and cream. It's not about the good music and the groove. It's about is there anybody that really wants to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is there is there anybody who wants the Lord to use them to turn their world upside down to make a difference in lives. Hallelujah. And somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, in the heart and the life of a disciple, they say, I'm going to go ahead and lose my life. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to this world. It doesn't make sense in the context of society, but I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there. I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to put it on the altar. And God, whatever you want to do, I, I'm not going to make requirements of you and expectations, but Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, Lord Jesus, I give it all to you. Because there is a context for serving God. That is, there's a world that's looking for people who are willing to put their life on the altar. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could stand right now. Hallelujah. 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 I know this is absolutely completely different than what's typical as far as the subject matter and the atmosphere that we are experiencing right now. But this is what I have felt God speaking to me. Because I feel like God has laid upon my heart as a pastor that if that if we try to finesse people into the church with our skill we try to finesse them in with our music we try to finesse them in with our appealing programs and marketing schemes and so forth that uh, that we can build a crowd but we can't build the church once we get them in you've got to look them in the face and tell them you know Jesus is calling for you to give your life to him Jesus is calling for you to take that step of faith. I'm not saying that you go from here all the way to here overnight. It's a step of faith, one step at a time. Closer to the Lord. Closer to the Lord. Let me just say, by the way, Brother Steele and Sister Steele, God's going to bless you in ways that you cannot even imagine. That God's favor and anointing and blessing is going to come on you in many ways. Brother and Sister Salazar, Francisco and Iris God's going to bless you and open doors 
Because you don't put the kingdom of God first and come out, come out on the end. Come out as the tail. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... The Bible says all of these things. Hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, what you're going to wear. Seek first the kingdom of God. You've got to seek Him first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. Before we leave today, I'm making a call for disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm making a call for someone who can say, I want God for your will and purpose to be done in my life. I don't want to be a consumer Christian. I don't want, Lord God, I am praying today and saying, Lord, I don't want to be just a convenience Christian. I don't want to be a person who has compartmentalized a little section of my life to you, Jesus. But I want your purpose, your calling, and everything about you to saturate my being and my calling and purpose. If that's the way you feel right now, I want you to come right up around the front. I'm making a call for disciples of Jesus Christ. I'm making a call for disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Will you take up your cross? Will you make decisions? Will you take steps toward Him to be closer, to let His will and purpose be unfolded in your life? Hallelujah. Yeah, I put up a challenge. Yeah, 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 I put up a challenge. And a challenge is not flowery. A challenge is not pretty. A challenge doesn't give you little goosebumps. A challenge causes you to count the cost and wonder whether or not it's worth it to serve the kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, and to walk and pursue after Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. The Old Testament prophet said it well. Hallelujah. Whatever you want to do, go ahead and do it. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Hallelujah. See, there's context for it. There's a reason to put your life on the line. There's a reason, hallelujah, to give a commitment of yourself to the Lord. Jesus, I give you all, Lord. I give you everything, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't let it be said of me, Lord, that I can be on time for work, but I can't be on time for church. Don't let it be said of me, Lord God, that I'll call in if I'm going to miss work, uh, but I'll just miss church and not even let anybody know. Don't let it be said of me, Lord God. Hallelujah. Don't let it be said of me, Lord, uh, that other things in my life uh, are more important to me than my pursuit of your calling and purpose. Uh, Jesus, I put you first. Uh, Lord, I want you on the throne of my life. Hallelujah, Lord. I want to seek after you all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yara la karashanda la rava babo sataya. Ijondo rava bokoro sataya la babo sataya. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's it. Join with somebody near you because we fight this battle together. Hallelujah. Katayara makoro shanda la babo sataya. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah.
baba bokorushandra baba sata hila baba korushata yala baba sandaya jesus 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 hallelujah 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 you are the love of my life you are the hope that i cling to This world to me, I wouldn't trade you for silver and gold. I wouldn't trade you for riches and gold. You are God. You are my everything. You are the love of my world to me I wouldn't trade you for silver and gold I wouldn't trade you for riches and toll you are God you are my Give you my soul, 
give you my soul. 